I'm Dr. Max Pemberton, a doctor and Daily Mail columnist, and this is part two of a special three-part podcast for Mail Plus Health, where I speak to a leading authority on migraine and headache, Professor Peter Goadsby, a headache neurologist at King's College London and director of the National Institute for Health Research. So what lifestyle measures really, really can help prevent headache and migraine then? We had a question that was saying that they were trying to reduce stress and do more relaxation techniques and get more sleep, but then they were still getting headaches and migraines. And we're wondering, is this down to like posture or sitting at the desk? Could that be to blame? So the migraine brains don't seem to like to be disturbed. So the, the, the core lifestyle thing, if you want, that is generally accepted is regularity. So regular sleep, regular meals, regular exercise, regular stress. So, you know, you don't want to have a a lot of grief one day and zero grief the next. Classic example of that is Saturday morning headache. But, you know, you've got a Monday to Friday, everyone's giving you a hard time. Saturday morning, you relax and boom, you get a headache. I mean, it's cruel. I once had had a patient, actually, a neurologist, very senior neurologist, who used to get his headaches on a Saturday morning, he used to relax. And I, I sort of said to him, you have to take a task on Saturdays. You know, you've got to review a paper or you've got to wake up at the same sort of time and you have to do some work. And of course, he liked that idea because it made him pr- productive, et cetera, et cetera. And actually, it was quite helpful for his headaches. Um, he was grateful for many years after. So regularity um, is, is, is the thing. And you've got to set your own regularity balance. There's not, there's not a general rule, but there's a rule of regularity that can be quite helpful. Because apart from that, it's your brain, your brain's biology, interacting with the environment. The best evidence in the stress area is actually the reduction of stress when there's the change, the letdown, is the clearest thing from an evidence perspective that's associated with migraine rather than the, rather than the actual stress triggering it. Another example of this trigger premonitory thing Imagine for you for a moment that your brain's not working properly in this premonitory phase, meaning you can't concentrate quite, sensory feeling, processing, thinking is impaired. If your brain's having trouble doing normal things, it might perceive normal challenges as being difficult, as in stressful, because they are actually, because the brain's not working properly. And I wonder whether some of this perception about stress is more to do with the brain being in the zone, so to speak, than actually stress triggering the, the migraine. So regularity. What, what about things like posture then? Is, that, is, there, is there any evidence that posture can trigger migraines or, or headaches? I think the evidence is pretty ropey. Um, some of it, it comes again from the biology. So the head, there's only one pain system in the head. It's called the trigeminal system. It's the pain processing system for all head pain. And the nerves that are involved in head pain go to the same part of the brain, this trigeminal area in in the brain. And when that is dysfunctional, one of the things that you would predict is neck discomfort because because of the way that the dysfunction in the brain is going on. So it's unsurprising then that neck discomfort, neck pain is commonly reported in uh, migraine, whether someone's 20 or someone's 50. And obviously their neck is not as aged at 20 as it is at 50. 
So I think much of what's ascribed to the neck is part of the fact that we only have one pain system in the head. An important part of that is that the pain system in the head covers the brain. Okay. The brain's a really important organ. I mean, I'm a neurologist, so I'm going to say the brain is the most important organ and any of my colleagues will not like that, but I'll say it. And the in structures in the skull, the nerves there are set up to warn you about a problem. They're not set up to, you can't tickle the brain. You don't do other sensations. Light touch is not a thing for the brain. The only message you need to get about the brain is if there's something going on, it's a problem. So you get pain. So the, the, the nerve system within the head is set up to warn for pain. Now, unfortunately, the way it's designed, it, the nerve systems for within the head and with outside the head all go to the same place. So by the time you start to feel discomfort in the head, it can be very difficult to be dogmatic about where the problem's coming from. And so I think the neck is overemphasized. And I think by the by, by the by, changing posture, it doesn't have fantastic effects in people with troublesome headache. Okay. The next question is, why do my migraines tend to strike after stressful days or events rather than during them? Ah, well, yes, exactly. The letdown from stress is the well-established time when migraine attacks occur. We think part of the biology of the stress response of having a difficult day and dealing with that is activation of pathways, the, you might say the fight and flight response pathways, what are called the autonomic nervous system, which is a, the sort of self-regulating nerves and system, brain systems that you don't think about. So they're the things that might make the heart go faster, pump better, heart rate goes up, you get more alert, you get ready for the running away from the saber-toothed tiger, so to speak. It's so very old systems. Now, when you have grief and aggravation, those brain systems are active. We know from the brain imaging that those brain systems change as a migraine attack comes on. So we think that having, you might say, having a little bit of stress is probably a good thing, paradoxically, at that for that, because it keeps these brain systems... Um, active and would and keeps the migraine process at bay. Now, when they're turned off, migraine process can um, can have its way, so to speak. So we 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 think that's the some part of the basis of it. Okay. And I suppose this now moving on to now ideas around sort of treatment and stuff. So, what's the best painkiller for a headache and the best option for a migraine? And are there any good non-drug pain relief options? So. Following on talking about the fact that the headache definition you know, book runs for 200 pages, there's no really one. The best treatment for a headache is to get a first have a diagnosis and treat the type of headache that you actually have. Um, because as an example, for tension-type headache, paracetamol or ibuprofen are perfectly adequate treatments. For people with troublesome migraine, they're perfectly inadequate treatments and you're much better off with a migraine treatment. There's a class of migraine treatments called triptans that were developed in the late 1980s for migraine and there are new ones coming along we could talk about. You should treat the thing you've got, which is kind of axiomatic. So getting a diagnosis, treat the thing okay, sorry, uh, just, that you have. 
Sorry. Um, um, sorry. So, so I was just going to get, I just want to clarify. So the, the headaches, well, if you, your average kind of headache, let's just, if we focus on that to start with, yeah, the average kind of headache that people have, say so a tension headache. So is, is, is paracetamol and ibuprofen uh, adequate, are they? Perfectly. But then what about things, because I, I suppose, as you know, we sort of hear at uh, medical school and so on about people had taken too many paracetamol um, yes. and ibuprofen. So, so it sounds to me, so, so is, it, is it possible that you can over-treat a headache then? You've just got average kind of tension headache. Yeah, you can. Well, that's again where the diagnosis came in and I should make that clearer. The diagnosis in a headache disorder involves working out what type you have, what's the underlying cause, and then getting some idea of what the burden of it is. So what's the frequency? So the right treatment of someone who's got one tension type headache a month is to take paracetamol, ibuprofen and be happy. The right treatment of someone who has tension type headache 15 times a month is they're going to need something to prevent it because chasing it, in the, the, as we were just describing, chasing the treatment may make things worse, something called medication uh, overuse. So, the, so that's why getting a, um, getting a sort of getting a management strategy that's a little bit more than just take the tablet, go away, is very useful to get a grip of what, what actually the problem is before deciding what to, what to treat. Get a plan. Um, and so, so for if, if, you're, if you're experiencing a migraine at that moment, is, are there painkillers that you can take or is it all just about prevention? Once, you've, once the migraine started, do you then just have to let it run through? Migraine, as with any of the primary headache disorders, you, you identify that people are having migraine then you, you need to understand how many attacks they're having. So if you're having one or two migraines a month, there are perfectly good acute treatments that will work. For some patients, simply taking um, a decent dose of aspirin, 600, 900 milligrams with something to stop uh, throwing up, so-called anti-emetics, is a very good combination. For some patients with a milder migraine, they'll get away with taking a dose of a, a non-steroidal like ibuprofen, but a decent sort of dose. For many patients with migraine troublesome, uh, where the attacks are uh, bothersome, disabling, they'll need this class of specific drugs called triptans. Generally speaking, the rule is somewhere around four attacks a month. So by the time it gets to about one a week, you start to be, you need to be thinking if you need a preventive. And by the time it gets to two a week, you should be on a preventive, right. if I could give a rough rule like that. And of course, much depends on what happens. If you've got three attacks a month, each one lasts for three days and nothing works, you're better off being on a preventive. Oh. If you've got four attacks a month and you take a triptan and it works in half an hour and you're perfectly well, well, wonderful. It's very individual. And what about what about non-drug options? What what is there anything there that you not not painkillers, not tablets? The problem with non-drug options is there's plenty of options, but they haven't been very well studied. Certainly, if one's talking about the kind of homeopathic things or you might say herbal uh, remedies, they're not terribly well studied. There are some what are called neuromodulation approaches that have been looked at. There's a device called a, a cephaly that stimulates the front of the forehead, actually the supraorbital nerve, and that can be some migraine patients find that extremely useful, no drug at all, and that's relatively easy to obtain. 
there are other devices that stimulate other nerves to change what the brain does to avoid medicine. So that's a, an alternative which has increased certainly in the last uh, last five to seven years has changed things changed things quite a bit. On the herbal and, and sort of nutraceutical line, the best established of those actually act as preventives. There's, good, there's quite a reasonable controlled trial, for example, for um, vitamin B2, uh, riboflavin, as a, as, a migraine, as a migraine preventive. And, w- and would you recommend that? Do you recommend that to patients in your clinic to take B2? Uh, B2? Oh, yes. There's a, you know, the standard for establishing something is what's called a placebo-controlled trial. Half of people get a sugar tablet. Half the people get the B2. You count up how many um, migraine days each one gets and many less have migraine days with the B2 compared to the placebo. And so, yeah, you know, use everything that has good quality evidence and be, and be sceptical about stuff that doesn't. Okay. Uh, coenzyme Q10 has some reasonable evidence. There's two clinical trials. They were smaller. Um, that, that, that also uh, you know, has, has evidence. There's feverfew is pretty popular. The problem is that there are two positive studies, two negative studies, and one inconclusive study. So it's a little... It's kind of irritating. Um, so I w- it's not where you go first. I mean, you go where the studies were clearly positive. Oh, that's, that's, that's very useful then. Um, uh, the next question is, why have I suddenly started getting migraines aged 40? I've been experiencing gut issues of late. Could this be to blame? Um, also, I'm taking two, two 100 milligram sumatriptan tablets. Um, about three times a week. Is this too much? So there's quite a lot of questions there, but let's start with the beginning bit then. Um, So why would would migraines suddenly come on at the age of 40? Is that a thing that you see? The peak prevalence in the UK of migraine is actually at the the age of uh, 39 for females. So you can imagine... Quite normal, actually, then. Yeah, so what this person is describing is plum normality. Um, for them to may they might have had a little bit of headache in the past. They might have not been too troubled by it. They might have had some hangover headaches when they were uh, at university in the first weeks of the university year or whatever. Um, but they, they haven't been bothered by it. And now it comes on 39, 40, 41. 40. That's just normal. That's that is that is literally tens of millions of women in the world. That's what will happen. And do we know why um, that is? Why, why it suddenly comes on at 40? Is it to do with the ageing brain? Is it to do with kind of changes in our lifestyle? What is it? Do we know? Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm a few years older than 40, and I hope it's not the ageing of the brain that's doing it at 40 because I'd have to be burying myself soon. I, I mean, it's clearly – and it's a very good question because, you know, here's a condition where you probably got the predisposition genetically, obviously, from birth. Why does it take so long to come on? That's not very well, it's not just not well understood. It doesn't seem to be associated with any cognitive problem, ageing problem. I'll say just um, in passing that it's almost invariably true that people with dementia don't have migraine. So the, the, the longer you get your migraine, it's a kind of bonus that you could be pretty sure your brain's not going to, you're not having any, you're not going to get dementia. Um, and I've seen, I can tell you, I've seen 80-year-olds with migraine and I tell them that, they don't think that's very funny. But the reason I say it is that it suggests that migraine is not um, degenerative and that, in fact, degenerative brain problems present in a very different way. So this person is normal uh, at some level for a migraineur, and we don't really understand why it can take so long 
um, to manifest. It's, I doubt whether, you know, there's always a, a, attributions, but I very much doubt whether just a, a, a gut issue, whatever they're describing there, is at the core of it, unless there's some disturbed physiology. So if you take the migraine brain and you disturb its physiology enough with another condition, then that can turn that latent, that background problem and bring it and bring it out. So, it's a, you know, you need to know what the gut problem was. Are they taking too much sumatriptan? Yes, very straightforwardly. We think that medication overuse problems with triptans start approximately when you take about 10 triptan days a month. That's the, that's the sort of rule, more or less. So, you, you know, three times a week, four threes to 12, 12 is greater than 10. Answer is it's a problem. What it does, if you're overusing that way, once you get to 10 or more, so more or less once you get past two times a week, you increase the chance that your headache frequency will go up in the following year, not go down, go up, that things will get worse. That's why it's an issue. Medication will actually make the headache worse later on. Yes, yes. yes. Oh, okay. So So here's a good example where the problem is, there probably is migraine, Triptan might be helpful, but actually it's frequent migraine, so that it needs the person needs a preventive, needs to speak to their GP, neurologist, headache expert about what preventions are available. Unfortunately, for if you're a 40-year-old female, every uh, r- randomised controlled trial in migraine prevention as its mean age 40. So this person has a boatload of good quality data from which to select an appropriate preventive. It's, a, it's not a great place to be to have migraine, but it's a, at least there's plenty of evidence for what to do. So, that's really, so that sounds like a really kind of key take-home message, that actually if you're using, using sumatriptan or any of the triptans more than 10 times in a month, that actually you have got to go and get some, uh, some expert help to be put on a preventative, because if yep. you don't and you just rely on the triptan, you could actually be storing up trouble for yourself later on. Yeah, I think once you get to using a triptan once a week regularly, you should be starting to think about what your choices are because by the time you get to twice a week, you're probably on the slippery slope. Um, you know, I mean, it's said in medicine, it was always true, prevention is better than cure. Um, yeah. So getting there earlier on is, is good for everybody. That's all we've got time for today, but come back next week for part three. In the meantime, if you want to learn more about Migraine, you can look at the Migraine Trust website. And you can find us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And whilst you're there, please leave us a review. And don't forget to sign up to the Daily Mail Plus briefings at mailplus.co.uk. 